16. When am I supposed to start? Like, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm crazy, and I think my husband is a cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater, and I just can't get over it. Like, what? How do I start this? Now, so, so let's start with the questions about has this actually happened, and you actually know it's a fact of his behavior? Okay, so when we were first dating, we were both coming out of uh, crappy marriages. I keep my boots down, sorry, my son is right there, that's his dad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we were coming out of marriages, um, and we had no business being in a committed relationship, and he clearly thought so, because he was definitely hoeing it up on the interwebs. <laughs> <laughs> He never really physically got around to cheating, but it's still that emotional and sending pics and videos, you know. Uh-huh. And I understand it. I get it because we literally had no business being in a committed relationship. We really did it. But part of us loved each other so much it didn't matter. Um, it also took him about two years to even tell me he loved me. He'd already moved in and everything. And then he finally was like, yeah, no, I love you. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, idiot. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. No, literally, that's what I said. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> anyway. Good. Good reply. So, like, I knew he did before he did. And there's the first two years of our relationship were really, really rough. And it took me a long time to kind of understand that it wasn't necessarily that he wanted to hurt me or that he wanted to cheat on me. He just wasn't ready to be in a relationship and he didn't know how to express that. And so I love him so much. It really didn't matter to me. Um, and I guess I kept telling myself it didn't matter, but it did. And I still have some trust issues there, which is why I'm always like, I need to check his computer. I need to go through his stuff because apparently I'm a crazy person. And so that's what I did. And then last night, of course, I found some stuff. But he's like, Aubrey, look at the dates right now. Because he came home from work, and I'm, like, sitting there, and I'm like, I found shit, you know. He's like, look at the dates. And I'm like, okay. And so, I mean, I look at the dates, and he's like, you can see that was uploaded to that in 2018. I didn't know it was there. When this computer updated, it must have came over. Like, I'm not cheating on you. I do not want that in my life anymore. Like, I... He's like, watch, I will go through and delete everything. And I mean, he's given me all his passwords. He's given me everything. And then he was upset because he's like, I feel like all the trust we built back has, you know, you know, gone backwards. So I, it, this just sucks because I want you to trust me and I don't want you hurting. So for me, I'm like, no, now I feel like an idiot. And it just took me back to what you said to me yesterday, Christine, with if you are going to be fearful and you're going to look for those things, that's how it's going to be. Do you have any so I guess I just need to learn to trust myself, learn to trust him, learn to be okay with how things are and not go looking for drama. Okay, so that's a really big thing to ask of yourself. And I, now here's something very interesting to me. I didn't have that kind of trust issue um, on a big level in my first marriage. But in my second relationship, it was huge in my face there was stuff going on that kept kicking me into that position. So with Sergio, he had friends that would send him things and and he, they would just be there and they would show up in our joint, like, you know how you have like a Google Photos and, mm-hmm. it, and it uploads all your videos and all your pictures that you receive. And oh, these God. things would show up there and I'd be like, what the hell, what is this? Now, my problem with him wasn't that this was happening. My problem with him was how he behaved about it happening. So I want to ask that of you. 
when this first was happening, was your guy open and like, hey, did he share or was he like, no, ah. and that's what bothered me because yes. I'm like, if you want to go hook up with women, I don't care. Just tell me, keep me, you know, communicate, keep me updated. Don't hide it and don't lie to me. That's what pisses me off. Okay. So that was my story too, but I think I'm going to confront you with something right now. And this is probably why you're still struggling. That's not a hundred percent true that you don't care. You were, you were using your desire to be with him to override something that you actually believe. So you think that I was like... So I do believe, I do believe that you can get to a place where it doesn't matter that he's doing something, but I don't think you're there yet. And I think that's a, I agree with Christine Aubrey, and I think getting to a place where it doesn't matter I don't want to say it requires like a lot of numbness if you're in a hard position, but it requires a lot of non-attachment and, and I think separation from your connection to him. So I would say pushing yourself into a place where it doesn't matter anymore is is going to be quite a journey if you want to know. I agree. And I do believe that there are couples that want that journey and they go there. But if that's not something you guys need, then there's other things you can work on to get over these issues without thinking, you know, without committing to an open relationship. Oh, I don't want an open relationship. Okay. (laughs) I don't mind having the occasional fun, but I just don't, I don't think I'm the type of person that could be in an open relationship. I tried it at the beginning of mine and Elliot's relationship just because... I was lessening my value and being like, no, I want to be with you, so whatever you want, rather than, no, this is not okay with me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I wonder if part of me is mad at myself for that, and I just have not worked through the anger at myself. Right. Yeah, I'm sure there's some of that in there. Um, But the other thing it comes down to is, is trust. And if you don't trust yourself, that's and this it comes up in that anger, because anger is fear unrealized. So if you're angry at it, then you were actually afraid the whole time. And you need to recognize what it is you're afraid of. And, and that's the issue you have to work through in order to open up the trust. Because fear closes down all the energy and all the support. Now, Sam, with the, with the work that you're doing in traditional counseling, what would the advice be for someone? Because so, for instance, Sergio said, "Yeah, you can look at everything." He wasn't hiding anything, but every time I would ask him about something, he would deny, 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 and then finally come clean. And that was why I had such a hard time trusting him because I'm thinking this is going to be my whole life of somebody denying. But once he felt safe, he would come clean. So I realized that's his issue, not mine. But it still was so irritating because I would know something on a gut instinct, and I would say something, and then he would have that. So. What I'm trying to say is, Sam, when when people are open with each other, but there's still that struggle, what's the traditional advice? Uh, I think you hit a few of the nails on the head there. If the other person doesn't feel safe, um, if they have a history of, let's say, their other partner punishing them once they did come clean, mm-hmm. then, then that's informing how they're presenting their information to you now. And... If they haven't worked through that, uh, you could call it trauma if you want. That that past punishment is hard when you're 
trying to help the relationship and you're being punished, it's just hard. It leaves, leaves residue. If that's not cleaned up, um, then your present moment is going to be a struggle. So I would say that you knew Sergio had something to say. You were on clock time. Like, I want you to tell me now. But, you know, right? The, the clock is ticking, buddy. I'm only getting angrier as the ticket, the, the seconds tick by. However, he, like you said, and I agree with that, he's got to process everything, get to a place where he feels safe to report it, or he never does. Mm-hmm. And that is that he's on it, on it, the other partner is on a different clock. And it, ultimately, it's about, okay, that clock is his journey. That doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm where I'm right, I'm right now. As long as you're being your authentic self, um, and trying to stay out of kind of the, the shadow side of anger and retaliation, you should be okay. But ultimately, your authentic self may say, "Okay, I need a break from you until you can come around and work on your stuff." <laughs> Everybody's got to be working on their stuff. Is the bottom line, so. <laughs> right? And so, Aubrey, do you, does Elliot share things, or does he just kind of stay quiet about everything? He used to stay quiet about everything up until we had that huge blow-up fight when he went to New Zealand in 2019, and now he shares literally everything. Oh, really? Because he doesn't, he doesn't want to lose me. <laughs> nice. Now, does he does he share in a sense of reporting, or he shares with, oh, I want you to know this, and let's talk about it. Let's enjoy this. Both. Okay. Now, Sam, what do you think about that? Because I see Sergio shares... And he rarely comes in just like conversationally. He shares like, like a sense of reporting. How does that? How do you help somebody with that? Look, if you want to be with them, you got to accept that that's where they are at. Reinforce that you are a safe place for them, and tell them to work through their crap, man. I mean, this is their <laughs> stuff. We're adults. You know, you can't fix his stuff. You can't reassure. You can assure them they're moving back. But if he feels like he can't get out of the reporting cycle into a free chair where it's just natural, his butt's got to go talk to somebody to work out his crack. That's the bottom line. He's got to take accountability for it, fix it, remove himself from the slavitude of fear, and meet you in a free space. What if the sharing isn't, and the reason they're reporting it is because it doesn't occur to them to want to share that. What if it's, like, some people grow up with the idea of privacy. So, for instance, masturbation can be considered a very private thing because when you're a child, you don't share it with your parents, you don't share it with your siblings or your friends. You kind of hide that. And then when you do start joking with your friends, you don't actually come clean with your details. So everybody kind of knows that everybody's doing something, but nobody talks about, oh, yeah, I did this last night, and guess what I did and how I did it. Nobody does that. So I think we're, we're already preconditioned to... I mean, like when Sergio gets out of the shower, if something's happened, I want him to say, oh, God, I just love this. Or, no, nah, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I just like to hear it just like anything. But he's like... Always have to, though, you always have to take into, like, the, the practice, you have to take into cultural diversity, familial diversity. You may have, I may have hippie parents who walked around without bras and stuff and talked about sex openly and it was all good. Another family may be more traditional conservative look. Some things are a little bit conversations in the bedroom. We don't discuss burping and farting at the dinner table. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so the, yeah, yeah. So the partners, that's, the, that's the, the fundamental underground. The partner has to take into account the familial culturization and wiring, the cultural and diversity wiring, mm-hmm. and they 
and just expect, well, you better get over the fact that you're German and you don't talk about like this and I'm an American. You know, ah, interesting. You know, so, there has to be an understanding. Christine, for me, because Elliot never used to tell me about, like, masturbating and stuff, I just started talking about me and when I do it and, like, the things I watch and the things I read and the toys I use and things like that. And then I'd be like, you know, it's super hot to me when you tell me yours or whatever. And that helped him be a lot more comfortable, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's just like me being more open to my, uh, like, whatever I'm doing so that he is more comfortable to talk about his. Right. And I noticed that, too, in relationships. And I, I took this on in the beginning of ours is because my partner was uncomfortable, I started to behave the way they did versus being myself. And... And it was actually scary to just say, hey, I like this or I want that because it's not like, it's not a constant thing I've ever actually had in my life. I was just prepared to have that in a relationship and then it didn't happen. So it was, I, I was told that I was crazy. You are crazy. Yes, but crazy lovely, right? <laughs> I think Monica crazy has something lovely. on this part that we're on right now too. Don't you, Monica, have something to add? I'm not really sure. I'm just listening to the amazing advice you're both giving, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. If I have <laughs> well, I think you have something based on cultural differences. Um, I, well, I really don't have any useful advice on that because I mean, like, um, I married somebody from a different background. Um, I, like, I from Europe. I grew up Catholic. I married a Jew from born in Canada. So it's definitely like cultural. Um, differences but I mean it's I don't know I mean I think that like there's people you either like it's never really been an issue with like uh, the religion thing was never an issue because neither of us are religious and it's just never something that came up but um I think it's just character like when you either I don't know Ah, I see I see but I have nothing useful to add right I see I think I see what you're saying and I actually have something to piggyback off of that so Sergio and I were both raised Catholic, and so I assumed that, you know, we had the same um, values. Even though I'm not a practicing Catholic, I realized that it still shadows and shades my behavior. And I assumed he was the same person, so when he would say something, finally, I'd be like, well, what the hell? You're supposed to be Catholic. What's wrong with you? <laughs> that, would, that would click into my head. How can you say you were Catholic? You didn't grow up, you didn't do these things, right? you were not a catholic and so it was like a culture shock to me again to have thought i had comfort and safety and then just to find out that oh no these our beliefs are so different okay so okay see for me that that line of thinking doesn't exist at all because okay i was born in poland i lived in germany and i learned and i was in german and ukrainian culture at the same time then in canada with like you know grew up with um a lot of Filipinos at my mom's work, they're all in accounting. Um, so, so I, I like this cultural expectation is like, for me doesn't exist because it's like, okay, if I grew up with Polish Catholics, there's a lot of them I don't connect with at all. But then there's people from all random parts of the world that I'd never met before and that was not like a, you know, something that I'd ever seen or heard of when, when growing up, well, I mean, I was still very little, but in, in, Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, like here it's like this whole big thing about what color somebody is, but over there it's like, okay, well, you're this kind of, the, all these different cultures, but they're all like, you know, to Canada, they all seem the same, like they're European, but it's like, I'll get along better with people from, from completely different cultures, and you just, they're, 
get along or you don't, you know, and then it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what the background is. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, I didn't, I, I'm not very religious. I did grow up a little bit religious, but I mean, I'm not at all religious. And then, you know, I have friends that are, and they pray five times a day and they, or they, they go to church or they're very religious and they're like the most wonderful people and we get along like better than anybody from you know supposedly my own background so I mean that kind of expectation just simply doesn't exist in my mind so I think that's um I wouldn't really know how to even begin to explain gotcha like well I do find I do yeah. find you're unique in the fact that you tend to um allow everyone to have their own experience but I also think that sometimes you allow it so much that you don't take I don't want to say ownership, but you don't take like an authority that your experience is right up there too. You know what I mean? I think sometimes your experiences fall into a shadow. You're absolutely right about that. You know, a couple thousand times over. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just used to growing up with so many different kinds of, like, I guess, cultures and, and backgrounds and countries and a couple continents. So I mean. Like, it's so different everywhere that like you just kind of adapt. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be, if I followed my original first background strictly, we wouldn't be allowed Halloween because it's the night before All Saints Day. It's like, right. You, you know, it, yeah. it's like taking something so sacred and somber and making a joke out of it. It's, oh. Halloween's you know, it making its, made its way over to Europe now, which it didn't exist before. So, I mean. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I want to jump back to the, the direction with Aubrey. So Aubrey, what I, the reason I wanted those details kind of thrown in there is because what you're going to realize is the trust issue has nothing to do with anything external. Yeah. So in one moment, something's going okay and you're fine. And then the next moment, you start to not trust your partner. And it doesn't actually come from their behavior. It doesn't come from their upbringing. It doesn't come from the past. It normally comes from something you're not doing for yourself in your own life. And so now we're external and we're triggered by beliefs that are external that aren't even real to us. Well, you know what's crazy is I've started to kind of realize it has nothing to do with him. Like I can feel that. Mm -hmm. in my like soul like it has nothing to do with Elliot at all it's all me and I'm like I don't know why like it's just a weird like I don't know how to explain it like this weird war inside of me like part of me is like you know well he would I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say well I haven't gone through the same experience I have so much details on that so I started to recognize that when I would start to get anxious, wondering if Sergio was, um, you know, being open or honest or sharing, I always noticed that I would tend to have something on my mind and feel like, well, I can't even talk to him about this because of the, his behavior and the way he's going to react. There was one of my triggers that would make me curious about what's going on in his life. Another is, hey, I'm not giving myself enough time to do what I need in my life. So there's a, a second trigger. A third one is, I actually want something, I can't quite pinpoint it, but because I'm subjugated in my relationship and not free, that I tend to, I tend to, um, hang on, the kids are distracting me. Uh, what do you need, Joe? Okay, you don't have to tell me that. Love you all. Okay, bye, bye Sam. Sam, thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. So, so another part would be that 
Um, I, like I said, I don't really know what I want, but I know I'm not happy with where I'm at. And I want my partner to help me get something that I don't know how to get. That's 100% me. <laughs> right? So, like, it's always me, not him. Tommy, I'm using it right now. So, yeah, that's that. And that's what I started to realize is, yes, I could look through his stuff and find something that would that I could say, hey, this is what you did this or you thought that or you didn't share and you lied and you hid and you had all this time and you never brought it up. I mean, but again, my need to behave like that was because I wasn't taking care of myself. Uh-huh. And I did find that a lot of it comes through ancestral DNA. And the reason it's so hard to break these things, because I've worked on this stuff for years. I've worked through all my thoughts, all my beliefs, and I'm actually completely fine because I truly know, having seen it through my clients, that every person needs the freedom to go through an experience and it has nothing to do with you. And if you don't give them the space to go through it, how are they gonna find out who they are or what they want in their lives? So I, mm-hmm. I mean, I even realized that, that if somebody were, because I did, there was a time in my practice where Everybody that came to me was a cheater. And I was like, why are they doing this? <laughs> but again, that because I know why people do it, I would always try to, to jump ahead of Sergio's behavior and assume, well, this is going to lead to this. And I don't want that in my life, so I need you to fix your problem. <laughs> so I think we do that too when we have fears of our partners is we can see that they're struggling. See, this is the fourth reason we get triggered. We see that they're struggling about something and we know that in the past it meant that they would step out and do some other behavior that we assume is like the gateway to this next behavior that we don't actually want. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that in us too. And so Samuel alluded, uh, you know, brought that up a little saying that if your partner is doing something on their timetable, then we need to be patient with that. And that is, to me is one of the hardest things because... When you know something and it's true for you, you want the other person to be the same so that you feel safe. Yeah. And that one, there's really no, there's no way to do anything when it's a timetable thing other than stop looking at their life and start looking at yours. You know, what am I doing to myself to even be triggering this? Because a minute ago I was fine and suddenly I'm not. Yeah. And... The, another part of that too is we receive telepathic information from someone, you know, whether whether they're close to us or on the other side of the world doesn't matter, and we assume it's our own thoughts. So if somebody else is worried about a cheating partner, and we get the resonance vibration of that, we can then again throw ourselves into this experience versus saying, "Oh, that's not mine. I know it's not mine. My life is fine." And even if we're in, and then we want to rationalize it by adding, and even if my partner is cheating, it doesn't matter because I'm okay with it. But see, that's rationalization, and that will never feel okay. We can't mm-hmm. fix the problem by saying that we would be okay because we've just now opened the door to, is this happening or not? Yeah. So that's, I mean, there's a lot of steps in the, in the process of getting through this and being done with it. But back to the idea of the ancestral baggage. Mine came from growing up in a society where somebody would say if your partner's cheating you have to leave them and that was a strong belief that I that was around me everywhere and people were always oh did you catch him did you find out did you you know and I and then there's the hippies were like oh it doesn't matter who cares so I had conflicts through every belief and I couldn't gain ownership of anything personally because I was subjugated to the beliefs of others 
And then when we look at it coming through DNA, there's a quantum entanglement. And that is really, from what I'm finding, from all my research, all my efforts, it's the quantum entanglement that actually keeps us trapped and having these experiences over and over. And it, no matter how much work we do on it, every time we're triggered, it's because of the quantum entanglement. And then the beliefs come up again, and then we support it. And you know, it's this process of building blocks happening. So if you don't go back and release your own fear at a quantum level, this will be the rest of your life experience. How do you like them apples? Mm, I don't, but... <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I feel like I have become a lot more aware um, of when I'm starting to go down, and I call them rabbit holes. Yes. Um, and so I've been starting to be more aware of that, and I think that's a little bit of progress, right? <laughs> oh, no, that's not a, not a little. That's a huge amount of progress. See, awareness is one of the most important things of this process because if you're self-aware you recognize it and if you can recognize oh I'm about to fall into that rabbit hole then you can just choose to walk around it and not participate it's the ones where where you're caught off guard and you fall into the hole because you were distracted and you had a narrow focus and then suddenly you're stuck in the hole and it's like ah there's no way out of this but to go through it I'm more like oh I see the hole you know I can just peek Uh, right and I'm, and I'm like, no, Audrey, walk away. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. The curiosity gets the better of me. Let's just go peek. Let's take a peek. And that's what happens to me. Right. So like, I just need to be like, does it even matter, Aubrey? And then just walk away. That's what I need to do. Right. So what you can do for something like that is you can set, um, like, okay, I'm going to restrict myself from peeking for, say, 90 days. You know, do something like that. And at the end of 90 days, when it does, when it does come up, again, you'd be like, uh, I never, I actually feel so much better because I didn't participate in that behavior. So that's one method of doing it. But that's, it's kind of hard because you haven't actually solved any of the issues. So that gives you kind of a ripping feeling every time you deny yourself and, and you don't participate. So you haven't actually been kind to yourself. You haven't supported your growth process. It's just like not smoking a cigarette until the desire goes away. Okay, so I feel like I can actually add something useful unless you want to, unless you guys want to continue. Oh, no, please do. please. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I just usually need to get, like, the gist of a conversation, and I think I just need to feel out, like, the people, and and then it's like, okay, well, let let me see, like, what I can get. But, okay, so I've been having, like, my own issues, like, with, like, that kind of insecurity and, and, like, what, and, anyway, um, so... The, the one thing I've been learning the last few years, and I'm actually getting better and better at it, um, is, like, you, Christine, you said it all so beautifully, but um, I'll just put it in the link of my own words. Um, you you want to look deeper into, okay, how does this make me feel? What's behind those feelings? There's, there's usually, like, something um, about how you feel about yourself, or at least in my case, it's like, um, I grew up with... Very, and I mean narcissistic. I don't mean narcissistic as if they don't agree with me. I mean narcissistic personality disorder, hardcore. Um, okay. Re- so, so a lot of like um, self worth and and how I view myself, my worthiness, etc., things like that. Um, are I'm still working on healing more and more and more. Like you get deeper, subtle levels. So whenever things like this come up for me. I've learned that a lot of it you have to really go back to like 
what are you not doing for yourself that that you feel you need? Like where where am I? How how does like you, you still see you still find more and more little unhealed pieces and, and you're going deeper and deeper there's this um Chinese facial reading thing that basically um in your in your um well anyway one of the things about it is like uh in your 50s you start to learn to give to yourself the things that you feel have not been given to you and it's represented by the by the lips and it's an emotional time um Whereas like the 40s, for example, is um, more about stabilizing your uh, career and your place in the world. Your 50s is about learning to self-nurture, to give to yourself all the things you did not receive, you feel you did not receive growing up from, you know, a spouse or a parent or a sibling or whatever else the case is. So um, I don't know, I think that may be a good thing to also look at in this case um at least that's that's one thing that i've been learning to do better and better and now it's like okay what what do i feel i'm not being given to by the people that i felt should have been providing me with such and such and i'm like slowly learning to do more and more and more of that for myself and you know whether it's like self-care little things like okay go buy yourself a little something that that you want or um like that emotional like good positive self-love kind of self-talk mm-hmm. and becoming more aware of how you speak to yourself because your body hears it yeah you know all your cells hear it and and um what's the message that you're continuously running on it's now, like we all have a default setting right so right can you tell me also about all. the 30s because you you said 50s and 40s but i think aubrey's in her 30s too do you know do you remember do you know what the 30s are I'm okay, 30s. okay. okay so <laughs> 20s is the forehead which is like a flat surface it's all bone right it's it's different from eyes or mouth or nose where it's um like or where, where like it's wet but so the 20s is the forehead you see like people who have lines across their forehead from raising their eyebrows because they're what are you doing in your 20s go out and discover the world and you're like wow look at that wow and, and the eyebrows lift and you get the brows so if some if there's people who have a line all the way across their brow, like the, those um, those lo- certain lines, it means they've learned all the lessons that they are meant to learn or that there are to learn in the 20s. So that's actually a positive thing in terms of this. So cool. 30s are your eyes. And this is where you go through a lot of emotional letdowns and disappointments. It's like you start to realize things about people that you didn't really pay attention and look as deeply when you were, you know, a child, a teenager, in your 20s, you get like, you know, that's when divorce happens. That's when children can, um, you know, bring up emotional things and disappointments and marriages end and, and you discover things like that. So it's like an emotional time. So you see how somebody's eyes are around their 30s. Mm-hmm. Like if there's a lot of lines or if it's very smooth, there was like an example of one woman who had like virtually no eyes, no lines around her eyes at all. Um, she said she basically spent most of her 30s meditating and so it was a very peaceful time for her. The nose is the bridge and it sort of defines your place in the world and then the 50s is that learning to give to yourself. So I think, you know, <laughs> I've been trying for like over a decade to, um, since I read about this, to learn to give to myself, but I wasn't ready for it. So now I'm really starting 
to, to learn to do that. So yeah, 30s is emotional and 20s is discovering, going out and exploring and discovering the world for the first time and everything is new and exciting. It's like, it's like a little child, but you know, on a bigger um, platform of, of the whole, of a bigger world. Mm -hmm. And you know, I also think in the 20s, when we're doing that, we're picking kind of like a side. So I recognize some people pick, well, I'm gonna have fun. And some people pick, well, I'm gonna enjoy the drama. You know, some people pick, I'm gonna be able to run people over and blame them. I mean, we kind of pick a platform that we learn from in our 20s. And then in our 30s and 40s, we're like, I'm not enjoying this platform anymore. I really gotta figure out how to stop doing it this way. And uh, I wonder, Aubrey, if that was part of why you wanna peek into that rabbit hole because your platform has been, well, it's so fun to have the interactions. It's so fun to be able to confront somebody. It's so fun to be right, you know? It is. I love being right, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning, and I, I do honestly think that is more what it is than anything, is me just learning to get out of the pattern of always expecting things to be bad or I guess on a deeper level wanting things to be bad right and see that's the other thing is why do we we have to look at why does it do we want it so like why do I want something to be bad because in the past when something was bad I could overcome it but if I don't know it's bad how am I supposed to overcome it so if we can find somebody doing something wrong we can overcome it but if we can't find it then something can go even more wrong and we can lose something. So it, it then goes down to uh, a fear that's normally created between the ages of zero and three, which is the fear of abandonment. So now we start to recognize, hey, if your parent was the kind that left you in your crib to cry, <laughs> you know, you're going to have fear of abandonment. If your parent made you be quiet and not express yourself, you're going to have fear of abandonment, etc., etc. Right? So if you have... If you have certain, you know, religious and military upbringing behaviors, those, almost everybody that went through those particular things have fear of abandonment because we were unable to be taken care of in a way that would make sense to us until we were older. Yeah, that, that is my biggest fear, and it always comes down to, like, that's my, the root of my crazy, I guess, is abandonment, fear mm -hmm. of abandonment. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to handle fear of abandonment is to know that the universe has your back and the universe will bring you what you need. So for instance, when your first marriage ended, then you, you got something else, right? Because the universe has your back and the universe knows what you need. Now, if your relationship with your current partner were to end, it would only happen because the universe has your back. So you can then look at, okay, well, how do I want to experience my existence? Well, I don't really want to have to get a new partner, so what does that mean? Well, that means I'm gonna have to communicate. That's, I'm gonna have to be the full expression of myself. I'm gonna have to draw to me the experiences that I actually want and not the ones that I'm afraid of, right? So, you're right, I don't want my, my partnership to end. Like, I don't want to do that. So, if I didn't want that to happen, I would need to personally create the reality I want, which is not having my partnership belly to end. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes and no at the same time because you can't actually control anything external. So what it becomes is it becomes internal. Why am I afraid my partnership's going to end? What am I doing to draw the end of my relationship to me? For instance, not taking care of myself, blaming my partner for things that they're not in control of, um, basically living in fear. So if I live in fear at all, 
that I'm going to lose my partner, I'm the creator of my experience. So, so it all comes down to the fear then. Yes. And it also comes down to when you look at your partner and your partner is appears to be something you don't want in your life. It doesn't help to try to change your partner. What helps is you look at you make a list of well, what do I want in my partner relationship? What do I want in order for myself to feel good and, and to grow in love? What do I want so that I can be kind to myself and those around me? And you create a list from that. And your focus becomes that list versus your partner's inability to be that list. And what will happen is if you because what you need in your life is not the person itself, but the experience that you're drawing to you. If you make the list and you allow for your partner not to be have to be the one, then your partner has freedom to step up and be that because they'll enjoy it too, or to change in such a way that it will mirror what they need, and then you guys come to a different agreement altogether. Uh-huh. So, but if you don't, if you just look at your partner, like for instance, I wish Sergio, Joel, and Sarah were cleaner and neater than they are, but every time I do that, I guarantee. I start getting into a bad place mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, they start feeling uncomfortable. Our life gets worse, not better. So for, in order for me to fix that, I have to look at, okay, is this something I need them to grow and change with? Or is this, is this the way, I, do I have to live this way? Do I actually need them to be different? And almost always the answer is no, I don't need them to be different. But there are occasions where I'm like, this is too much work for me. It's not that their mess is the problem. It's just I'm doing so much work to have my way, and I am allowed to have my way. I don't have to give up everything in my life, which is, that's what I was trying to see if Monica earlier when I was saying how often you'll allow other people to have their way, but then it means sometimes I give up who I am, and that's a, that becomes a difficult spot too, is I have to be able to recognize that it's okay for me to want a clean space. It doesn't mean that they have to stop being who they are, but it's okay to communicate my need to them and see if they want to come along with it. So like for the kids, I just went it over, I went over and said, hey, you guys have this level of freedom here, but this is what I'm asking for you to give back to me in our relationship, which is, you know, 30 minutes of cleaning a day. And today I want you to come with me and we're going to do this together so you can see how I like it. Now, it doesn't mean they have to do what I want. I'm not that kind of person, but I'm encouraging them to enjoy this with me and they either do or they don't. It becomes something that makes sense to them or not. And that is me creating my reality versus me expecting somebody else to change. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you too, this happened in my relationship. So when I went to telling Sergio, hey, you're doing all these things and I feel hurt because you're not sharing. Instead of him sharing, he just stopped doing them all. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell? Now my life is boring. That is not what I wanted. That was not my goal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to like what you said, Aubrey, that I have to step up and start expressing something in order to get what I want. But in my personal relationship, having grown up military Catholic and with all of these beliefs about, you know, everything is hidden, everything is a secret, uh, you know, and I've never wanted that experience. But because everyone around me was that way, I accepted it. I really wish I'd have had some hippie friends that wanted to talk about all this stuff. You know, I have all my friends love to talk to me about their poop, but they don't want to talk to me about the other things, you know? So I'll talk to you about sex all day. Oh, all right then. We're going to have to start having some of those conversations because I do know that I don't know how to have freedom in that area. So now my partner has reduced his freedom 
And now I'm like, ah. And what will happen is somebody around me will offer something. And when they offer me something, it becomes, it becomes, um, it becomes a, a conversation I want to have with my partner. And when I talk to my partner about it, he tends to, because again, he never found freedom, he tends to get insecure and uncomfortable and want to blame me for being a bad person when I haven't actually done anything. I just said, well, this guy offered me this or this girl offered me this experience. And he's like, well, why? Why? What did you do to make them? And I was like, no, 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 that's not what happened. I'm attracting my reality, which is I want some freedom in this area of my life. So that happens. And I, I still don't know what it is I want. Well, if you ever want to talk about all those bad things, I am happy to oblige. I think that's going to be on our list of things to add to Clubhouse for sure. Because I think it's really important. I do too. I, I, I try and tell Archer too, like he's eight years old, like one day you're going to want to feel these. You might feel them now. That's perfectly normal. If you want to talk to me about it, cool. If you don't, that's cool too. Like we're very open about sex in this house. I'm very open. I'm willing to talk about it all. But yeah, but again, if I don't have somebody talking with me and I don't know where to, so I don't have the freedom to go and just walk out and, and, t- and accept these invitations, basically, you know? So there, and, and, and still be within the bounds of the comfort of my partner. It's not, again, I, I don't know that I'd even have a problem doing any of those things, but because I'm bound by the comfort of my partner, which I'm happy to do, that part doesn't bother me. I just still, I still need to move past that. Yeah. And so that's one of my triggers in my trust issue is if, if he's meeting his needs in some way, but I'm not allowed to meet my needs because I don't know what they are, then now okay. I'm upset with him having what he needs and me not getting what I need. And, yeah, I, I, get that. and I think that goes back into your trust issue too is you're so, hang on a second time. So what's going on sometimes with you is you start giving, giving, giving and wanting to give to your partner what, they're, what you think they need, what they've told you they need, and then you forget to check in with yourself. All right, well, I guess I have to work on <laughs> So I just think... Can I ask for clarification on something you said yesterday, though, because sure. it's been driving you nuts? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, there was a point yesterday in our conversation where hold on, I gotta pull up. Basically, I just want to understand not necessarily what you're talking about about the big experience that is going to like change my life or whatever. Um, <laughs> I guess I just want to understand like, is that anything to do with Elliot? Is so? Yes, I'll go ahead and answer that question now because it's actually very relevant to what we're talking about. So when I look at somebody's energetic pathways and I, and I look for something that's life-changing, that's going to happen to them so that we can talk about it and bring them up to speed, it's really surprising that even though we find an event, it's not the event itself that makes the changes. So yes, I do believe that what I'm, what I'm seeing in your life has to do with your wedding. I'm not sure if it's the wedding planning or the actual wedding itself. Um, but there's a moment in time in, in all of us where we make a choice. And that choice clicks us over to the new reality that, that we want, or it keeps us stuck in the fear that we're already living. And if we're aware that that's coming, then everything seems to go really smooth. And you don't even recognize afterwards that, was that it? 
I mean, that was so easy. There was no drama. There was no trauma. Uh, and I'm like, oh, because so for instance, when I when I got pregnant with um, let's see, was it Sarah or Sandel? Well, one of, one of the girls. They had told me something was, oh no, it was Sarah. They told me something was coming and that I needed to be prepared and they told me where to go sit in the yard and they told me how to be, and they said, if you're not prepared, it's gonna be too hard. And I was like super relaxed and then I felt this really comfortable thing come over me and I was like, oh, that was nice. And, I'm, and they're like, okay, it's done. And I'm like, well, that was nothing. Why'd you guys make such a big deal about it? <laughs> and the realization was because I was prepared, because I was not in a narrowed focus, because I was open and, and accepting, my experience was super easy. But if I hadn't been that, I would have had a different experience altogether. So when I give people a heads up that something is coming, I always give them what to prepare for. And then when the event does actually happen, it's going to be like, oh, that didn't seem like much. But if you didn't know to prepare for it, it would be super hard. And you could go through all kinds of weeping and, and feeling of discomfort and, and uh, ripping. All those sensations will happen and it will feel very hard. So this thing that I saw with you was it's a very gentle process because you're going to be pre prepared for it. But if you don't know to be prepared, again, it would have been very difficult. And all it is, is in the moment, it's so easy for you to want to choose what somebody else wants. And in doing so, you stay trapped. But in this moment, if you choose to honor yourself, then everybody else comes along with you and there's no problem. So like an example of that would be, say you're about to do something about the wedding, you're in the planning stage and, and like you're trying on a dress or something, and you want to pick what you want but you feel like if you do, it's not gonna make life easy. You feel like by picking it, you've created extra work for other people. Like for instance, the one dress you already had, how it's in order to alter it, that's too much work. That was one of your conclusions. But what if there was another solution in that? That what if you, you didn't actually give that up and you picked yourself because it was what you wanted? I'm not saying that that's your experience. I'm just saying, what if, what if that was what happened? And in that moment, it seemed like it was gonna to be too much to ask, but once you did ask, everything just falls into place. What if you can have that in your life every time? By choosing something you want, everything falls into place. But by believing something's a problem, you then are creating this, this stress level for you and everyone around you because everyone was ready to go along with what you actually wanted, but because you're not in your truth, everyone has to go along with you not being you. I think I know what this is, Christine. Yay! So I've been seriously considering just being like, you know what? Screw the wedding. Let's just go to Hawaii and enjoy ourselves and our family and not even worry about that wedding and all of that. And I'm wondering if that's what it is. That could absolutely be it. I mean, why it's not? It's so expensive. And I'm like, I don't even care. Like, Elliot doesn't care. Like, who cares? Wow. See? And you're holding everybody accountable to what you're, you're believing they wanted. Well, I'm just terrified that everyone's going to be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> See? See right there. Instead of just choosing what you want and communicating it to others, you're sitting in this place of, of obligation or subjugation, and you're holding everybody else in place with you. Yeah. Because guess what? Even if they get mad, it has nothing to do with you. That's about them finding something that they want to work through. Yeah. And if we live our lives in our truth like that, you know, making the decisions that actually support what we want, 
then we give everybody around us space to be free to do the same thing. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I, I, I'd rather just, you know, enjoy Hawaii with my family. And if I want to wear a pretty dress to get some pictures taken, cool. But I don't, I don't know. I don't want to walk down the mile. I don't want to do all that again. There you go. So I think you really need to communicate that. I definitely thought it was about the wedding. And I definitely saw you sitting in the dress being like, oh, why can't I just choose this instead? And, and it was so clear that if you just did just choose you, that it was going to be easy. Yeah. I think I've been in the same, well, not exactly the same, but similar kind of situations where I always kind of um, get really stuck with uh, making certain decisions because I always feel like very obligated, like, okay, what, like, I have to give everybody what they want, but it's like, I'm not even taking into consideration what do I want. Yeah. And I think like the magic words here that never dawned on me, that kind of didn't exist in my reality would be you know what it's okay for me to have what i want that's a good thing it's not and and the most important part of it is me having what i want me choosing what i want and me getting the things i want doesn't take away from other people having what they want ah that's so true a lot of times that is our fear is if we get what we want somebody else has to lose exactly and, um, and like, I think that was, like, the, a big thing for me. Like, I'm not sure if that's the case here, but I just think, like, it's it's sometimes absolutely magical to hear, hey, it is okay to have what you want. And you know what? Not only is it okay, it's actually the right path. It's actually healthy. It's not selfish in any way. There's nothing bad about it. Because you get what you want, and you give yourself the freedom to give to get what you want and that means you're actually being good for other people as well because you give them that little spark of inspiration or, or the freedom to get what they want yep but yeah. they don't also have to act out of obligation like i don't want everybody to be let down I, they want this or they want that or i don't really know what they want but like let me just sit here in limbo forever until everybody tells me what they want and then i'll make my wedding according to their plans <laughs> yep 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 and it becomes quite a challenge to live that way so hey laura are you able to talk with us or do you need to stay on mute okay i'm gonna go ahead and start talking about something that laura does Sorry. oh i'm i'm gonna be in that car in a minute with a lot of people around me oh, okay Just one second so yeah you talk and then i can go yeah yeah no no <laughs> <laughs> okay because one of the things that so i think we have a good place to move forward from but I also want to cover something that Laura has done recently that made a huge difference for her which is take back her investment from a period of time in her life so when we talk about quantum entanglement what it is is imagine that when you take on a belief or you buy into somebody else's belief and you move forward imagine that you've just tied a little string to a moment in time and when you have thousands of these little strings tied to you in the past, each one of those strings takes energy to run. So you're investing light energy and keeping that connection. So when you... Yeah. Yeah. So let, me, let me share this really quick mm -hmm. before I get in the car. Um, you know how people do inner child work? Mm -hmm. I thought I was doing inner child work and I was going back in time to a time when something wasn't, you know, very, it was kind of a traumatic experience. And I thought I need to go nurture that little girl, but I ended up killing her. So you can explain that, Christine. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's actually brilliant when you look at it, 
Because when you nurture something, you hold it in place. And you hold the belief that that child was right. But when you sit down and you look at something, that child was subjugated, that child was obligated. And for you to be kind to them is only supporting that they should have done what they did versus you taking back all the power and authority of that experience. So you can go back um, into a part of your life, look at it. So like Aubrey, when you talk to people about when you were a kid and you talked about, oh, what a wedding would be and what it would look like and how important it is, that's all, that's all invested energy. And one of the reasons you don't wanna just choose what you want today is because you have his history and you have invested energy in that history. So the way to fix it is go back like Laura did, and she just killed that little girl and said, "Give me back all my life, bitch." Oh, this is the last day. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't—it wasn't like a stab kill. It was pulling my energy out of it. <laughs> it you know, it was like I know, I know, uh, but mine was funnier. Pull the energy out and no longer invest in that false persona. Right. So, Aubrey, one of the things you believe is that everybody else is going to want this wedding, and even if they've actually said they want it. It still doesn't mean that that's exactly what they want either because it's based on a belief system. Like, every time I think I need to be married again, I have all these reasons to believe that that's true. And, like, even when you got engaged, I was like, oh, I want to get engaged. And, like, a bunch of my friends got engaged all at the same time. I said, ah, oh, see, if I was engaged, these things would be easier. But then when I stop and look at it, there's no truth to that. I don't have to get married. I already live a married life. I mean, nothing is really going to change for me other than my belief systems and how other people see me. So well, I can. That's how we were, and the only reason we like got married, like legally, is because insurance. So mm-hmm. like, it doesn't exactly. change anything about our relationship. Exactly, and that's the kind of thing that you know some things hold us in place like insurance. So we're gonna do the paperwork so that I can have insurance, and that's all it is. It's all paperwork. And just like when I was getting divorced, it was the same thing. Everyone's like, you're not divorced yet? I said, it's just paperwork. I already moved out. <laughs> Everything's separate. <laughs> Leave me alone. Exactly. <laughs> and so, go ahead, oh, Monica. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add um, like something uh, to what you guys said a little bit earlier, but I think it really matters. Like, the, the you know, if you believe this, if you believe that, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I started listening to Abraham Hicks again, and yesterday they, it's so funny. Um, I, I was not, I don't, didn't know why I started, I put it on, but I managed to hear just enough to remember this line because I think it's like perfect for right now. You know, the thing is, when you keep a thought and you keep thinking that thought, hey, over and sorry, over and over, I'm gonna have to peace out. My mom is actually calling me. Okay, okay no okay. problem. We're Bye, about guys. to end anyway. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Okay. Bye. Um, I'm just gonna finish up with that. Yes, um, please. It's like that, that thought, you keep thinking it and thinking it, and it just it gained momentum. And it's like you can just, um, <laughs> well, I don't know, I find that perspective helped me because it's like, well, it's just kind of like on a roll. It just kind of kept going for so long. It has a momentum of its own. But once you become aware of it, you can more easily stop it and then just gain momentum for a new thought. Yep. And that's, that's really what it does is that's like what Laura was saying about how all these little strings are tied to the past because exactly. it gains momentum. And then you're losing your energy to that momentum instead of what you actually want in your life. Exactly. Yep. Well, I really like the conversation today, guys. I think it's got a lot of good support information in there. Does anyone, Do you want to add anything before we say our goodbyes? I'm, I'm done. All right, good. I think, th- I think this is a good ending spot. Thank you. Okay. All right. Great to hear everybody's voice again. Bye. Thank you. Yes. Bye. All right. Yeah, we'll do this again. I especially want to do some of the other topics that we mentioned in here. 
So that'll be great. All right, look forward to seeing you guys again. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Bye. Bye.